Thank you for joining us for the lessons from First Naz Podcast. In Isaiah chapter 55 this morning, so if you'd like to open and follow along there, I'll be looking at Isaiah verse uh, 55 verses 1 through 9. So you can open up and find yourself there. Uh, Alyssa and I have told the story a handful of times of our going to the mission field. You're probably sick of it. Uh, and so I'm just going to tell it today uh, again because you're probably sick of it, and that's okay. Uh, the, when, when we left to, to go to Ecuador, we, uh, let's see, I have lots of time. I'll just tell the short version, though. Nobody minds if I just tell the short version. Uh, when, when we left in, in 2016, we, we arrived in Ecuador in 2016 in Quito, and uh, we arrived with an organization that's planting churches all over South America. All of their Spanish-speaking teams were going to Quito to receive training, and then they would go plant churches in uh, Argentina, Chile, uh, didn't have any at that time in Peru, Colombia. I think there was hope of, of opening up a few other countries. We sent a team to Venezuela while we were there of all Venezuelans because folks from other countries couldn't get in as easily. So we, uh, we were there. We were there to train church planting teams and to, to help teams of North Americans and South Americans get together, learn a few, a few principles, work with their pastors that they would be working with in, in the country where they would be planting and have a strategy and plan for, for planting a church. And so we went in August of 2016 to do, to do that training, to kind of head it up. And we got there in August. We started in language school. We started learning all about what our job would look like. And then in February of 2017, so six months after we had arrived, we, we had, there, there was a big set of meetings within the organization that we had, had gone with. And, and uh, I, was, I was not part of those meetings. Uh, I was, you know, Alyssa and I, we weren't, we weren't real involved in anything yet. We were still just learning things. And so we weren't, we weren't real involved. We knew that they were happening. But during the course of, of those meetings, uh, some of the shared documents that I was a part of for the training process started changing. And one of those changes that stood out to me the most was that uh, the parts that I was supposed to be in charge of for, for the, the, the training that was happening right about then, uh, my name uh, started disappearing from, from those documents. And uh, I, uh, the, 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 long story short, the, the meeting, they had decided that they would go ahead and change how, how training was happening and, and one of the major ways that they were going to change how training was happening was that Paul Clark wasn't really going to be particularly involved in training. And so we, uh, we, we found ourselves six months after moving, like I, I quit a paying job and raised support to go, and we, had, we were a family of four. We had a two-year-old by that time. Uh, we, we didn't have a job. We were in a different country and we, we had made, we had taken what we believed was a step of faith and, and believed all along the process of getting to the mission field, really believed that God had, had stamped his stamp of approval that this is exactly what we were supposed to be doing. We, we raised support for, for three years of missionary service in one month. That doesn't happen. Like that, that, does, that just doesn't happen. And, and so we, we looked back after being in Ecuador for, for six months and, and we, we looked at each other and we said, okay. And we, we looked to God and we said, you better fix this, God. Um, and, and honestly, we were, we were hurt. We were really hurt. Uh, we were angry and we were, we were nervous. It was that uh, you've been there before. You've been there before where you have that uh, nervous, sort of angry, um, food doesn't really sound good, and, uh, or food sounds really good and you can't stop eating. And, and we were in that, in that for, for, for a season, for a few weeks, a month, a couple months there of, well, we took a step of faith, God, and now you better figure this out, God. 
I've, I say you've been there. You've been there. Everybody has had that experience of, of taking a step of faith, of, of going in a direction you believe to be the right direction, of doing what you thought God was calling you to do, of doing what seemed best in your mind, of having confirmation along the way as you got to the place where you were going, and then all of a sudden to feel like the rug had been pulled out from under you. And all of a sudden thinking, oh no, God, you better figure this out because I, I can't figure this out. I don't know what's happening. I don't, I don't know where I am or who I am anymore. Well, we're in the book of, of Isaiah this morning. The book of Isaiah is addressed to, to God's people over a long period of time. It's a hard book, really, to, to just jump into. The, I'm, I'm here because of the tradition of the church. The tradition of the church provides us with, with texts, the, the, the lectionary. It provides us with texts for every, every week. The, the lectionary provides uh, an Old Testament reading and a psalm and a gospel reading and a New Testament reading. During this season of Lent, I've decided to, to allow the tradition of the church to be our guide on Sunday mornings. And so we are, we are this morning because of the tradition of the church in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is not a book that you just jump into for one week and then jump out of. And so uh, you're, you're going to have to hear a little bit of the history and a little bit of how we got to, to Isaiah 55 and, and what, what has happened among God's people in order for, for them to be ready to hear the message that, that they receive in, in Isaiah 55. So I'll just, I'll just kind of give a quick introduction to Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophet of God's people spanning a long period of time. In fact, uh, the, the earliest parts of Isaiah are, are pretty easily dated to about 700 BC, about 700 years before Jesus. And, and the first, like, 39 chapters of Isaiah are pretty firmly dated to, to those first uh, years of the 7th century BC. And then moving, moving forward, in, in chapter 40, there's a pretty significant change in tone and theme and setting that makes it seem as if the, the last chapters from chapter 50 to, to chapter 66 of the book of Isaiah are actually from much later, it, enough later that it's probably a different voice. It's a, it's a person who, who kind of in the spirit of Isaiah prophesied and, and heard God's voice and spoke, but it's probably not the same person because it was at least 100 years, if not 170 years, uh, separated from, from the beginning of the book of Isaiah to, to what happens in, in chapters 50 through, through 66 of the book of Isaiah. 40, chapter 40 through, through 66, sorry. It's 20, 27 books, so, or 27 chapters. It's like the, the Bible. There's 39, like in the Old Testament, and then, it's, and then there's 27. There's 27 books in the New Testament, 27 books in the second half of Isaiah. So there's, there's like a parallel there, and people like to point that out, like I just did to you. <laughs> I like to point that out too. Isaiah, so Isaiah comes from a period of time of classic prophecy. Prophecy changed through the course of the, the history of the children of Israel. You, you see it in the books of like First and Second Samuel, where the prophets are this group out in the countryside going crazy. And Saul joins them a couple of times. In, in the Old Testament, we hear this uh, repeat a couple of times. Is Saul one of the prophets? Because Saul goes, King Saul goes, and he joins the prophets, and he has this, this ecstatic experience. He, he gets all full of energy, and he prophesies, and he worships the Lord. And that's what prophecy was then. But prophecy evolved and changed, and prophets in the time of Isaiah had this amazing gift. They had this amazing gift of being able to say, Thus saith the Lord. And whatever followed, thus saith the Lord, for the classic prophets, was truth with a capital T. That was, those were the words of God. And so there's an easy way of knowing if a person's a false prophet, right? Because if they say in the classical period of, of prophecy, thus saith the Lord, and what they say is, tomorrow it's going to be rainy, and tomorrow we wake up and it's sunny, they are a false prophet. Uh, Isaiah has proven, <laughs> amazingly, 
to, to be able to be one of the people in history who can say, thus saith the Lord. And what followed after Isaiah said, thus saith the Lord, has proven that Isaiah was hearing from God himself. David prayed for me this morning that my words would be like the words of Isaiah to, to us. Uh, they're not. I, don't, I do not claim to say, thus saith the Lord. Uh, I, I say, here's what I think God is telling us. Um, I'm, not, I'm not a prophet in the classic sense of, of a prophet. So that made me a little nervous when you prayed that, David. <laughs> I have to be honest. So, so where are we at in history? In, in the history of, of, of Israel then, God's people were united in the promised land. King David was king over, over the united people of God. And then after he died, the kingdom split. There was the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, which had Jerusalem in it. The northern kingdom, by the time Isaiah came along, the northern kingdom pretty much wiped off the map by the Assyrians, and the southern kingdom is under threat of being wiped off the map by the Babylonians. And so the, the beginning of the book of Isaiah is God's people under threat of the Babylonians coming and wiping them out. After, ver, after chapter 40 in the book of Isaiah, it's happened. And, and God's people are now, they've been carted off to, to Babylon like trophies of the king in, in Babylonia, and they are there. And what we understand of the history of God's people in that time is that Babylon had the strategy for getting people to, to stop believing in their own gods and assimilating to society. And their, their strategy was that they would strip the people of all of their religious expressions. So God's people were no longer supposed to worship Yahweh, God, our God, the God of the Old Testament. They were supposed to be surrounded by the Babylonian gods. And then they were welcome to participate fully in the very strong economy of Babylon. And they were, the idea was that they would, by participating fully in the very strong economy of Babylon, they would become rich. And since they couldn't worship their own gods and they were becoming rich, then they would assimilate into Babylonian society and they would start to think, hmm, maybe it's all of these Babylonian gods that are around that are making me rich. Maybe I should just start worshiping the Babylonian gods because I like being rich. And that was the Babylonian plan and strategy to, to strip their prisoners of their own religious expression. That plan failed when it came to the people of Judah. God's people were, were carted off and, and found themselves in, in Babylon, found themselves fully participating in the, the ec economy of Babylon, uh, getting, getting wealthy, but not letting go of their own religious tradition, not letting go of God because, because there were prophets. There were people like, like Daniel and Isaiah who were saying to them, thus saith the Lord. Listen up, folks. God is still speaking to us, even though we're not in the land anymore. God still has things for us to say. God still has a plan for us. And so it's in that context that we find ourselves in Isaiah 55. And, and Isaiah 55 is, is a chapter of hope. And interestingly, there's a lot of parallels from Isaiah 55 to Jesus in the Gospels. There's a lot of, there's a lot of connections. We'll talk a little bit about some of those connections. And then we'll look at what it means to be people who have been carted off and, and are under... Uh, outside of anything that looks like being blessed by God, and then to hear words of hope. So that's kind of where we're going this morning. We're going to jump in to Isaiah 55, and I'm going to just read Isaiah 55, verses 1 and 2. And this is what, what we read in Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me, and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. So, these words in, in the beginning of Isaiah 55, 
they, they sound like vaguely familiar for people who are really familiar with the words of Jesus in the Gospels. If, you, if you've read through the Gospels a thousand times, you read these words from Isaiah, you probably have only read through the book of Isaiah. If you've read a thousand times through the Gospels, you probably only read through Isaiah five times. Uh, and so these words, like, maybe you've heard them before, kind of sound vaguely familiar from Isaiah, but they really spark something from the words of Jesus, because Jesus used this imagery of, of free water, of, of gifts, of, of coming to him and, and receiving freely, kind of over and over again. A few places in, in the Gospels that really remind me of, of these words from Isaiah 55, the, the first one is, is in John chapter 4, the story is, is when Jesus was, was traveling, he ended up in a village out, or in, outside a village in Samaria. And the Samaritans were people that the Jews didn't associate with. Jesus stayed outside a town by the well. And a woman came out in midday and they had this conversation. And, and in John chapter 4, in, in verse 14, Jesus says, But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Jesus offers, it's free water. It's, it's good for you. It never runs dry. Uh, come and drink. Then uh, a few chapters later in John chapter 7, Jesus is in Jerusalem for a festival. It's a really interesting chapter in John. Jesus acts like he's not going to go to the festival at all. His disciples go to Jerusalem and, and are participating in the, in the festival. And then Jesus like sneaks in. He, he just like kind of like sneaks into the, to the festival. He's laying low for a while. And then at the, at the end of the festival, the last day, Jesus is no longer sneaking, no longer not there. He is shouting at the top of his lungs to the crowds of people who are in Jerusalem for the festival, and he shouts these words. I'm not going to shout them. I'm just going to read them. Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the scriptures declare living, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. That's in, in John 7, verses 37 and 38. And, and John talks about how these words mean that Jesus is going to give the Holy Spirit. The, the imagery, though, is just undeniably par parallel to Isaiah 55, this idea of come to me and drink. Anybody who's thirsty, come and drink. Jesus obviously knew his Isaiah. Jesus obviously uh, had, had read Isaiah, understood the importance of the words of Isaiah 55, and was, was using that imagery of hope from Isaiah 55, to speak to the people of his day. Well, Jesus didn't only make the offer of, of water. He, he also used the, the idea of water being given freely as an image and, and an illustration of the kingdom of heaven. And, and on multiple occasions, Jesus has used the imagery of a feast being offered to, to anyone who would come and eat. Uh, as an illustration of the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 22, verses 1 through 10, there's maybe like the most telling interpretation of, of these words in the New Testament, where Jesus tells the story of a king who threw a wedding feast for his son. He had a wedding feast for his son, and he invited a bunch of people, and none of the people he invited showed up. And and the, the parable really is like... Uh, it's a, it's a judgment against the people who, who are too self-important to accept free food, <laughs> who, are willing, who, are, who are unwilling. Maybe they're busy. Maybe they think, you know, ah, just uh, too much going on to go to the king's banquet. Or maybe they, they want to choose their own menu, right? Like, oh, if I go there, I mean, everybody knows the king likes fish. I don't want to eat fish, right? Or, and, or maybe it's just a, like, if I go there, I might see that person that I don't want to see. Like, I, I can't control the company I keep if I go to this banquet that's free to anybody who will, who will show up. And so I, I'm going to stay away from there if I can't control who I'm going to see. I'm going to stay away. And so the, the parable is really, really a judgment against people who would think that they have better things to do than to receive freely from God's hand. 
And in the parable, the king then sends out servants into the street corners to invite anyone who will come to the feast to join him. Jesus says the servants invited the good and the bad alike. Anyone who is willing was, was welcome to come and, and accept from, from this feast, join, join the feast, as long as they were willing to put on party clothes. It's kind of an interesting parable. Uh, they needed to be dressed well. But it didn't matter if they were important. It didn't matter if, if their presence at the king's feast would raise the king's standing. It, it didn't matter. It, it didn't matter. As long as they were willing to, you know, you can't go from, from changing the oil on your camel to, to the king's wedding feast, but, but you, anybody can, can show up. Um, thank you. Thanks for laughing at that one. I, I really appreciate it. The prophetic message then of, of Isaiah 55 asks a lot of the same questions that Matthew 22 asks. Like, why? Why would you, why would you spend money on food that's not good for you? Why, why, would you? why would you reject what God is offering? Why would anybody say, you know what? I think I can, I think I can come up with better food than what the king is going to be serving at his son's wedding. I don't need to be a part of that. And, and Isaiah asks those same, same questions. Why do you pay for food that's not good? Why, why are you using money when, when God is offering to you from God's bounty? Don't, don't imagine that you're going to feed yourself in a better way than God is offering to feed you for free. And so, uh, maybe, maybe the invited guests wanted to choose their own food, but, but God is... God is offering. And, and the only responsibility of the, the people to, to, to have that great food, that bounty that God is, is offering, the only responsibility is that they would accept. So that they would accept. They just simply have to, to accept what's on the menu. There's no worry that there's not going to be enough, right? The king goes out, invite anybody who will come, go out to the street corners. There's no worry. God offers everyone who is thirsty, come to me. The, there's no worry that it won't be good, right? It's, it's, it's God's offer. The only risk, the only risk in this is that we might miss it because, because we re- refuse to accept it. And that's really the kind of the final words in, in Isaiah 55 too, is, is we simply, we, we miss out, we miss out by not listening to God. And so we simply have to listen to God in order to receive from God's bounty. Simply have to, to accept what, what God is saying to us and, and receive it. And then we get to enjoy the finest of foods. So moving along to Isaiah 55, 3 through 5. I'll read three more verses here from Isaiah 55. And uh, it says this, Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. See how I used him to display my power among the nations. I made him a leader among the nations. You also will command nations you do not know. And peoples unknown to you will come running to obey, because I, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, have made you glorious. Again, a couple of interesting parallels. One, one particularly interesting parallel between verses 3 through 5 here and the New Testament comes from the song that Mary, the mother of Jesus, sang when, when she found out that she was the mother of Jesus. And it's... Uh, it's thematically, the, the words aren't exactly the same, but thematically there's just like so many connections between down and outers being exalted. If we think about God's people in Babylon receiving these words, they are so far from anyone coming, looking to them for, for leadership or guidance. They are so far from being powerful. They're so far from the blessings of, of God that that God's people experienced under David, their king, that for them to hear that 
God is going to restore them and put them in a position of power. It's just, it's incredible. And Mary's song in, in Luke chapter 1 is, is very similar, this idea of, of God raising up the lowly. And, and Mary hearkens to, to David the same way that Isaiah hearkens to David in, in this uh, paragraph here in Isaiah 55. And, and that's really all the time I have for, for making connections with the New Testament. I'm going to jump in a little bit more uh, to the direct context, but I just want to address, like, why, what, what is it about Isaiah, and how, why do we read all of these connections between Isaiah and the New Testament? In particular, Isaiah has a lot of connections, right? Isaiah, we think of as the prophet that has, like, the suffering servant passage that we read around Good Friday. Uh, Isaiah has all of these passages that remind us of, of Christmas, uh, you know, the um, behold, a virgin shall conceive, this will be assigned to you, a virgin shall conceive, that's early in Isaiah. Uh, there's all of these different, different passages in Isaiah that relate to, to the New Testament, and, it, and, and the question is, like, what do we do with that, and, and why? And I don't have all the answers. Uh, I'm, I'm not Isaiah, so I can't say, thus saith the Lord. Uh, but uh, I, I, do, I do have a couple of thoughts on, on the idea, uh, uh, on, on how this relates to us or what we might get from it. Uh, one way that we can, we can look at this is just to see, like, God's incredible planning and faithfulness and work through history. The, these words are at a bare minimum, like latest possible date, 500 years before Jesus. So 500 years before Jesus come, come these incredible words that are then like very clearly fulfilled in the ministry and life of Jesus. And, and you know, Jesus could have, by the time that we read the words that we've looked at from the New Testament from Jesus, it's very possible that Jesus was well-versed in Isaiah, right? Very possible that he was intentionally making connections between himself and Isaiah. But there's not a lot of way that Jesus had control over his birth in Bethlehem, which is predicted in Isaiah. Uh, there's not a lot of way that Jesus could have controlled, as a grown man, who he would be born to and born by, in a virgin birth. Like, these things that God had planned for, for centuries at the point of Jesus' birth were written down centuries ago. And, and you know, maybe that's, a, maybe that's a helpful faith builder for us in, in Jesus. It certainly, it certainly is for us a beautiful reminder of what Scripture is, as Scripture is God-breathed. And as the prophet Isaiah gets to say, thus saith the Lord, and he speaks the words of the one true God. And then that one true God takes on flesh, walks around, and says pretty much the same thing as Isaiah 500 years before. Uh, God's voice doesn't change through history. It's, it's amazing, then, the way that God's Word gets fulfilled through history, because, you know, these words are words of hope, but honestly, words of hope delivered to Babylonian captives 500 years before Jesus, if their only fulfillment is in Jesus, it's not really all that good in news. It's not really all that hopeful if, uh, oh yeah, you're under oppression, you're stuck in Babylon, but hey, take heart, 500 years from now, I'm going to send the Messiah and everything is going to be great. He's going to be offering streams of living water to anybody who wants it. You know, that, uh, that doesn't seem like particularly good news to, to the children of Israel in, in the days of, of Isaiah. But amazingly, God's word is so multifaceted and rich that God's people do experience incredible hope and incredible restoration in the lifetime of the people who heard these words from Isaiah. They were delivered from their captivity in Babylon. They were put back in Jerusalem. They were, they were placed in, in, in the city of David. They were given hope that, hey, God is doing what God has said he would do. 
And, and then we get the, in, in Isaiah, there's all of these amazing prophecies that are fulfilled in the life of Jesus. And then there's so much in Isaiah that Jesus did like the first half, and then there's still a little bit left. With Jesus, so much of, of Jesus's ministry is yes now, but not yet. So much of Jesus's ministry is, is the kingdom is here. Prepare yourself for the kingdom. So much of Jesus' ministry is, is fulfilling what has been written and looking forward to when it will be fully fulfilled. And so, uh, we also see the, the hope that we have in the, in the ultimate fulfillment of these words. When, when anyone who is thirsty can go straight to the person of Jesus and never thirst again. And I think, and I think that there's even a, a facet of, of this prophecy that continues to be fulfilled for, for the believers in each generation. You know, I, I don't know if it will be during our lifetime that Jesus comes again and we fully experience his presence and, and we can go directly to him and, and receive anytime we're thirsty. But I think there's a chance that Jesus intends for us to, to understand these words, to us to be here and now. The God who, who uttered them to the prophet Isaiah 500 years before Jesus, who came and lived as flesh on earth as Jesus, makes to every generation the promises that, that he has made in Scripture. I think. I think I think that. So, interesting, Isaiah. Well, uh, Isaiah, Isaiah has an interest in, in talking about the past glories of God. He, he draws to mind God's people's past successes when he talks about David, right? He talks about David, and he says... Uh, you know, just the way that I love David with an unfailing love, so I'll love you. Uh, that's my paraphrase. Uh, he, uh, he's interested in the people looking back, looking back to what God has done through, throughout history. And Isaiah has an interesting relationship with memory. Isaiah, Isaiah wants people to remember, but he doesn't want people to remember. In fact, the, he speaks out of both sides of his mouth in, in, this, uh, in this issue. In, in Isaiah 53, 18, he says, don't remember the former things. Essentially, I'm going to do something new, so forget about the old things. Something new is coming. And then just like four chapters later, uh, it's Isaiah 46. He says, remember the things I have done in the past. Uh, so there's like Isaiah wants you to remember but forget. Uh, he, he wants you to call to mind but uh, not ever call to mind those things again. Uh, he, he wants you to view the past as nothing compared to what God will do in the future. And, uh, but also remember the past because you gotta, can't forget while you're remembering. And, uh, but you got to forget while you're remembering at the same time. And so when David is brought back to, into the conversation, there's, there's a decent amount of, of remembering what God has done for his people in the past. Uh, but there's also, there's also some forgetting that has to happen. So it's not going to be exactly the same. It's not, gonna be, it's not going to be glory for God's people exactly the same way. And so it, if we read these with the eyes of, of people of Judah stuck in Babylon, uh, God's abandonment, as much as God's strength and blessing was on David, like David was blessed, it's just completely, it's undeniable, whether it's because of his wealth or his military victories or his many wives or the treasure that he had or the, the way the land increased under his, his leadership, uh, David was blessed. And, but for, for the people of, of Judah in Babylon, God's abandonment seems just as obvious. Like, maybe God seemed, maybe God blessed David in incredible ways, but the people of Judah as captives in Babylon, they are, they are completely, if ever there had been a people forgotten by God, they, they, had, 
they had a case to make. Uh, if ever there was, was a people who, who was not blessed, it was exiles under the thumb of Babylon. And so God's people, um, are, when, when God's people are equated with David, it, it, uh, it's sort of a shocking, a shocking equation, right? And I just want to point out, grammatically, verse 3, this is written, uh, it uses the word you. We don't have a plural you in English. It's y'all. It's, it's everyone. Um, God's not speaking directly to Isaiah. He's not speaking to one person. He's speaking to his people. God, and, and so God equates all of his people with David, who he loved with an unfailing love. And, and frankly, uh, that's just like sort of shocking because David had reached like most blessed by God status of all time. And then God's people in Isaiah receive Isaiah's words are most abandoned by God of all time if, if they had a title to write for themselves. And, and God doubles down on it, right? He doubles down on it. He doesn't just say it, say it once. He, he talks about all of the people. They're, they're, going to be coming, they're going to come running to you. And at the end of verse 5, he says, Because I, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, have made you glorious. And, and the slaves in Babylon look at each other and say, you're not very glorious. This is, this is shocking language for people who are stuck in exile and shocking for people who don't govern themselves to be told that other people are going to be coming to you to look for, for you to rule over them. It, it's shocking words to anyone who, who doesn't believe in the capacity of God to, to make the down and out glorious, because God is going to make them glorious. And it's shocking to those who have lost faith in the promises of God to his people. It's shocking for people who thought they were living faithfully and found themselves with the rug pulled out from under them. It's shocking for people to hear that God is going to make them glorious when they think they've done everything right and it's landed them in Babylon. And, and God promises to make them, make them glorious. As we move forward, we see, we see it comes, the promise comes with some urgency. Um, the prophet speaks in, in Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7. He says, Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. It's interesting to note that if you've been paying attention to the, to the punctuation, Anybody else paying attention to punctuation? If you've been paying attention to the punctuation, you notice that this chapter or this paragraph doesn't have quotes around it. These words are directly from the mouth of the prophet, not thus saith the Lord, but Isaiah saying, uh, folks, listen up. Uh, this, is, this is Isaiah interjecting into the message from the prophet. And so he, it's, it's interesting. Um, he, he is acting prophetically. Like that is a prophetic thing to do to say, uh, seek the Lord while you can, but it isn't prophetic in the sense of thus saith the Lord. And, and it's interesting to me that the most urgent part of this passage, the part that says, seek the Lord while you can, comes from the mouth of the prophet and not from God himself. It, it comes, um, and there's a couple of things that might be happening here. Um, it may be that the prophet's doing us a favor and I, th I, I kind of like that. Like, the prophet is reading between the lines a little bit. God has been saying all these good things, but folks, listen up. Like, seek the Lord while you can. Seek God now because you might not be able to tomorrow. Listen up, folks. This is important. Uh, it, it, it may be that, um, that the prophet's just kind of annoyed with the people. Like, he sees the people going their own way. Um, my friend, my friend Isa would say, uh, 
why are the people doing that? Why are they going their own way? Why are they not trusting in God? They, they need to, to turn to God. Seek God while you can, people, the prophet is saying. Uh, and it may, be, it may be that the prophet uh, and God are like looking at the people and, and God has more patience with his people than the prophet. And, and so the prophet's saying, come on, hurry up, let's do it. And God, in his incredible patience, is offering hope. And, and the prophet says, oh, we got to speed this up. Seek him while you can now, folks. Um, it's interesting to me. It, it reminds us, though, God does have the expectation that we would seek him. Okay? It, just because there are the words from the prophet and, and don't have quotes around them, thus saith the Lord, doesn't mean that God doesn't expect us to seek him. And the expectation remains for us that we would continue to seek God. We, we are to draw near to God, to experience God's mercy, to find out that God's forgiveness is generous. And then we come to the last words that we'll be looking at today, and, and we receive these words from Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. They can be a little bit disquieting. We read in, in Isaiah 8, if you're paying attention to punctuation, you'll see there's a quote mark at the beginning of this one. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We're, we're forced to read these words as, uh, from the perspective of people in captivity, right? We, we remember that God's people, Isaiah was speaking to, were, were captives in Babylon at the time. And uh, so far from anything that they could perceive as, as being blessed, looking at the generations past and seeing how God had blessed every generation and then theirs got plopped into Babylon. And yet, and yet they have to admit, God has a different perspective than me. God's thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And when we, we think about the situation of God's people in captivity, and, and we look at the way that God did eventually bring them back from captivity and establish them back in the promised land and then send Jesus to fulfill more of these words, uh, we have to admit in, in God's ability to pull together the details. In, in God's ability to do what, what we might never expect. So in February of 2017, we... We didn't know exactly what to do, but we had one idea. We had one idea, and, and we, were, we were out of work, basically, in, in Quito, Ecuador. Um, but we went to the, the office of, of the Church of the Nazarene there, the, the missions work of the Church of the Nazarene for all of, of Ecuador and Venezuela and Colombia was overseen from, from an office in, in Quito, Ecuador. And we, we had had some interaction with the missionaries for, from the Church of the Nazarene during our, our first few months in the country. Uh, we had made good friends with one couple that will actually be here in a couple of weeks, and, and we'll get to celebrate them. Uh, but uh, we, uh, we didn't have, like, we didn't have a plan for, for ourselves, but we thought, well, maybe, maybe the Church of the Nazarene would take us. Because we had great support. We had taken this step of faith. And, and so I met one afternoon with, with Dwight Rich. He was in charge of the work in Colombia, Venezuela, and Ecuador. And, and I met with him and said, here we are. Uh, we, we have raised support. We want to be missionaries, but we don't, have, we don't have a job. Would you be interested in letting us try to be missionaries with the Church of the Nazarene? We had gone with an organization that was not like the Church of the Nazarene, partnered exclusively with the Church of the Nazarene, but wasn't, wasn't the denomination. And honestly, uh, 
We probably would have preferred to be with the denomination from the, from the get-go, but there wasn't any opportunity for us in South America, really, at the time with the denomination. The, we, we, we really wanted to, to go and, and work in Spanish, uh, work on our own Spanish, and felt like it would have, it would have application here in Lewiston, Idaho, maybe. <laughs> uh, we, we really wanted to, to have, uh, have that experience. We wanted to work with a team, and, and we felt like we had followed, followed what got, the door that God had opened for us. And, and then when, when Dwight, I met with Dwight, and, and uh, he, he immediately said, yeah, We'll, we'll start you teaching classes in the seminary. We'll start Alyssa translating letters for our child sponsorship program. She eventually took over that child sponsorship program and ran it for a couple of years. Uh, we'll, we'll have Alyssa work in the library, and we'll have you help out around the campus anywhere that we can, can put you. And, uh, and after, after a couple of years uh, and some perspective, we, we realized that that was exactly the setting that God had for us. Um, we got to speak Spanish. I got to teach in a seminary. We got to work with a team that was, was close-knit and, and really fun. We were never alone. Uh, we, uh, we were missionaries for the Church of the Nazarene, which is an honor because we felt like missionaries in the Church of the Nazarene are really amazing people. And all of them are, except for one family that was in Ecuador for a few years. Um, we were, we, we look back on that and, and we can't help but admit that God's thoughts are nothing like our thoughts. That is, God's ways are far beyond anything we could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We, we thought often of Romans 8.28 in that time. We know that God causes us all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We, we don't have to look much beyond that to feel like we can... We, we saw God work in ways that were much higher than our ways. There were no opportunities for us to ever serve in, in Ecuador with the Church of the Nazarene. The, that door would have never been opened to us if we hadn't quit our jobs and sold our vehicles and gone to, to Ecuador to work with an organization that six months later didn't need us. And then we found ourselves in, in the exact right position that we could have never gotten to without that little six-month detour because God's thoughts were higher than our thoughts. I don't know where, where you might feel like you are today. I, I hope you look around and you think, God's thoughts have been higher than my thoughts, and man, I'm right here just in the perfect place because God has placed me here. Uh, I, I had thought the rug got pulled out from underneath me, but it turned out, there was solid ground there, and, and God, God moved in, in amazing ways, and here I am. But I know in, in a crowd this size this morning, there, there are people here who are saying, I, I thought I was on the right track. I thought I was following God. I thought I was doing what was right. I thought I was where I was supposed to be. And, and you feel like the rug's been pulled out from under you. And you, you look around and you say, how could this possibly be God's blessing in my life? How could this possibly be God's good plan? God, what are you doing? And God, you'd better figure this out. We, we have to admit in times like that, the Lord's thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And patience, patience is terrible and hard, frustrating. 
waiting for God to, to move in moments like that. It's what makes us into the people that God is calling us to be. And so, sometimes we, we have to be open to forgetting the blessings of the past and forgetting what we thought we were, we were walking into. Sometimes we have to be open to, to remembering that God can handle this too. And God can walk with me through this, even this. Will you let me pray for you? Let's bow our heads. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for all the things that we can remember in our past about how good you've been to us and the ways that you've worked. We thank you that we can, we can remember your forgiveness, your grace, and your mercy to us when we didn't deserve it. We thank you that we can remember Jesus who came and died for us to pay a debt that we could not repay. We thank you, God, for all of those great things that we can remember. And Lord, we hold tightly on to them. We hold tightly on to them. And for my brothers and sisters here who feel like the rug has been pulled out from under them, who don't know what happened to the peace that they once had, who don't know what happened to the plan that they thought they were following, that they thought was your will, and feel like it's all disappeared and there's nothing solid anymore. Lord, I pray that you would help them to forget. Pray that you would help them to forget the former things. Forget where they thought they were going and look now to you. To your thoughts which are higher than our thoughts and your ways which are higher than our ways. I pray, God, that you would, you would speak into their lives. Give them hope for a moment such as this. Remind them that you spoke to captives in Babylon, saying, you are glorious. I, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, have made you glorious. May they recognize that you Make all of your people glorious. May they recognize that you have a plan that is higher than their plan. You have thoughts and ways that are higher than their thoughts and their ways. Lord, we don't understand why, why our plan often does go through dark days and difficulties. But we're forced to recognize, Lord, that you're Wisdom is greater than our wisdom. We pray, God, that we would rely on it and trust you and look to you in all things and in all ways, Lord. Bless my brothers and sisters, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.